Okay, I'm I'm actually recording our very first digital side hug uh, from outside the United States of America. I'm I'm in Mexico, and you can actually listen to this. Can, can you hear that? Oh, that's so great! It's the sounds of uh, I guess it's not a Mexican ice cream truck. It's actually a Mexican water truck, uh, and I'm here with Carly Dallas who is a missionary in Vicente Guerrero, Mexico. Um, Carly, thank you for joining us on the Digital Side Hug. Thank you for having me. This is really, really fun. Um, and Carly, I think you're, I think you're my first uh, ever missionary to interview. Um, tell us real quick who you are, you know, age, where you're from, and, and what you do here in Mexico. Okay, my name is Carly Dallas, and I am 25 years old. And I am from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I run an after-school program called Oasis. So, say a little more about Oasis. What are the ages? What time does it run? What's the purpose of this organization? So, Oasis is an educational after-school program, and we have about 100 kids in the program right now. Their ages are 4 through 19, and we tutor them with their homework. We try to motivate them to do well in school. We teach them Bible classes, give them a meal to eat, teach them English, art, music, and just play with them and give them a safe place to be. And it's an after-school program, but it's also a before-school program. That's right. We have a group of kids who go to school in the afternoon, so they come to us in the morning, and we also teach a group of kids who don't go to school at all, so they come to us in the morning as well. And my group is down here working with Carly, working with Oasis here in Vicente Guerrero, which is in Baja, California. Um, it, Baja is different from Mexico. It's the, it's the slice of land on that really long peninsula to the left of Mexico, but it's still Mexico. Yes, it is definitely still Mexico. <laughs> but there are differences between Baja, California, Mexico, and, and Mexico. What, what yes. are some of those differences? Um, some of those differences are that a lot of this region was populated by... Uh, migrations of people from southern regions of Mexico. So a lot of the people who live here aren't from here. They're natives from other regions of Mexico. Another difference is that this area is kind of the forgotten state of Mexico and a lot of the government or organizations um, neglect or often forget about this state and they don't get a lot of the services that other regions of Mexico do. Speaking of, our group every day this week we've been driving to Oasis from the place we're staying and we've noticed huge numbers of locals standing in the street, sometimes blocking lanes and even walking down lanes, uh, in protest, protest of something? Yes, there is a huge water shortage. We're in a drought, and it's really political because what's been happening is the, the government has been selling water to the highest bidder. And the highest bidder is often the businesses down here and the ranchers and the landowners. So the people aren't getting any water, and it's getting sold to the ranchers instead. So the people have started to strike outside of the water company and demand water for the town. It's a very interesting community down here. They, they've got a pro baseball team called the Freseros. Yes, the Freseros. Which is like the strawberry the people. The little strawberry people. <laughs> yes. Because this area, the huge fields here growing Driscoll strawberries in, strawberries, in yeah. part. Um, and that's what a lot of the people here who send their kids to Oasis, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. They work in the fields, they pick strawberries, and they're paid sometimes $8 a day. Yeah, 8 to $10 a day. 
for, for spending hours and hours in the field. Well, uh, listeners of the digital side hug will know that that uh, I, I start with a with a series of ridiculous questions, um, and so we're going to do that now, and then we'll, get, we'll ask some more questions about this in just a moment. Carly, I have started the chain reaction music. Uh, my first question for you is, how do I say the digital side hug in Espanol? Side hug? Yeah, the side hug, like, uh, like a side hug, you know. It would be el abrazo. El, el abrazo. Arra, abrazo. Abrazo is high. El abrazo. De lado, side. Okay. De lado, digital. Okay, el abrazo. Al lado. Al lado. Digital. Digital. Sí. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I may possibly uh, be getting a digital side hug before this is over. I mean, I'm an, an actual side hug uh, from Carly. Thank you. So, el ab abrazos, el abrazo, al lado, digital. Okay. Uh, okay. So, what's the best thing about being in Mexico, and what's the worst thing about being in Mexico? The best thing I say would be the food. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I love Mexican food. And is it, is it tacos? I mean, did they get it right at Taco Bell? Do they uh, sell chalupas down here? And it's kind of right. Taco Bell isn't exactly Mexican. They entirely. don't sell ceviche at Taco Bell. No. And I'm sure you eat that here. Yes, but tacos definitely are one of my favorites. Okay. Cool. And the worst, worst thing, yeah. Worst thing would be lack of general conveniences that we're used to in the states. Being water, you know, general things like right. that. Just lack of water. Just not having water come out of your sink. Um, and yeah, in in the states, um, the water that we drink is uh, really really good out of the tap. In most mm -hmm. places here, you you just can't do that. Even the Mexicans don't do that. Right. Um, okay. So, what are some other conveniences and services that that you do without here that kind of make life life tough? Well, here none of the roads are paved. There is one paved road. <laughs> right. So the one paved road is the highway, and besides that, everything is dirt and rocks. So that's one major inconvenience. <laughs> you need a 4x4 four four car pretty much to get around. Um, another one, there's not a lot of internet down here still. Um, a lot of communication is, is slower than it is in the US. Uh, next question, have you met anyone in Mexico who calls himself Heisenberg? I haven't yet, but I'm still expecting to. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've driven past lots of places that look like they belonged in the, the TV show Breaking Bad. Uh, okay, good. So, do you have a favorite Disney princess? And, part B, which Disney princess could you imagine leaving her life in America, or wherever she is, to, to go to a f Mexico to be a missionary? Hmm, my favorite Disney princess would be Jasmine. Okay. Oh, well, another dusty place. Yes, probably why. Sandy. I, I relate to that. Yeah. And which one would uh, would leave her home and go? Yeah, most likely to become a missionary. Oh man, I'd probably say the same, Jasmine. Jasmine. Yeah. You know, they're also the, awesome. The, the class conflict there. You could make the case that the the Little Mermaid left, you know, she did. her her father's like the king's kingdom as a princess there and and came up to you know it's probably bad theology <laughs> but but anyway she's my favorite disney princess reveal to the audience um okay so you play basketball i do well, i i can i ask this without offending you what do you think of the wnba 
<laughs> oh man! Is that off limits? Can I ask that? I've never watched a game. Oh no, Carly! Really? Oh, I was counting <laughs> on you to I've be able to say wonderful things about the WNBA. Okay, let's move on. Um, say, say something, whatever you want to say in Espanol. Say say something, you know, like whatever. Just be fast. Sound like a Mexican girl. Okay, estamos aquí en México y me están entrevistando uno que se llama Rubio. Es uno que viene aquí de una iglesia en Tennessee con sus jóvenes y aquí están trabajando en oasis y están dando clases a los niños. Okay, I heard several things that I think I recognized. It sounded like perhaps Rubio was in there somewhere, which, which means either someone with blonde hair was a part of what you said or, or, your or you. Right, possibly. Okay, there's a button in front of you. If you push it, you lose the ability to speak or understand Spanish. If you press it right now, you're, you're in this bus. We're, by the okay. way, we're filming, we're recording this in an Iglesia de Cristo uh, minibus, <laughs> which I'm not going to tell you how many people we fit on this minibus uh, earlier this week for fear of losing my CDL. Um, so, but you, you, right now, you press a button, mm -hmm. you got about 20 seconds to decide. If you press the button, you lose the ability to speak or understand Spanish. Mm -hmm. If you do not press the button in 20 seconds, you lose the ability to speak or understand English. Wow. That's a tough one. Do you press the button? I love I love this. I knew this was gonna be I would not push the button. You would not push it. I would not push it. I would keep English. And you would keep English because Because that is a big portion of my personality that I can't even express in Spanish, such as sense of humor yeah. and sarcasm and a you lot of sarcastic? Other, <laughs> a lot of other qualities are very hard for me. It's hard to, to be me in another language fully, even though I consider myself fluent in the other language. It's still hard to, emotions are hard to express, yeah. and that's such a huge part of life. That's cool. So it's hard for you to totally fully be you in another culture right um so i'm assuming based on that you, you you don't anticipate or maybe you do living in mexico forever like like living here for good it is possible but i really depends on what god has in store okay all right well, I appreciate you letting me ask that. Final question. Askingcanbefun.com. Now, the listeners to the Digital Side Hug, will, will, I do this every time. Some people probably think I'm making this up. There's actually, a, if you go to askingcanbefun.com, you will find an excerpt from the book. This is a real book. And this guy, uh, Morris Gregwire, is, is the person who is trying to get this book published. It's a real book. It's fabulous, filled with great questions like this one. Carly Dallas. Self-esteem hit an all-time low when fill in the blank. Self-esteem hit an all-time low. I have a very specific moment when I when I mistranslate things, when I when I mess up really bad. And this particular moment, I walked into a grocery store. Here, here in Vicente Guerrero? Here in Mexico, I walked into a grocery store and I was looking for strawberry jelly. And there is a word for jelly that is preservativos. That word in this region also happens to mean condoms. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I accidentally... So you asked for strawberry condoms. I accidentally asked for strawberry condoms <laughs> in a grocery store instead of asking for strawberry jelly. And then my oh, self-esteem hit an all-time low. That is so funny. <laughs> After I realized 
what had happened. I didn't realize until after I had left the store and had asked somebody why they were looking at me so strangely, and I repeated what I had said, and that person happened to tell me what I had actually asked oh, for. Wow. So I didn't even know until later that I had messed up. That is a great story, Carly. <laughs> Such a great story. Another another cultural uh, inconvenience is when you shop for condoms, you know, as well as as you know preserves or jelly. Local dialects, so, local languages change. So now, what do we say when we're shopping? Like later today, when I go looking for. Uh, Don't say preservativos. <laughs> okay. You say mermelade, mermelada. Mermelada. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Lesson learned. Uh, thank you. Now, Carly, I know your story. I've heard you tell it. It's one of the reasons I wanted to interview you for this podcast. You're 25. Yes. Uh, you've been coming down here for a lot of years. Tell us how this got started. It all started when I was 13 years old and in a church youth group, much like David's. And uh, I got invited by my friends to go on a mission trip that the youth group was, was hosting. And so I went with my whole family to an orphanage in Ensenada, Mexico. And then I guess I was hooked after that. And I kept going to that same, that same trip to the same orphanage for several years. And then eventually m mission trips sprung out of that orphanage and started visiting further south regions in Mexico. Yeah. So cities further past the orphanage. Okay, okay. I'm going to call a timeout. I want to back up for a second. What mm -hmm. grabbed you? you? You said you were hooked. On that first trip. Yes, there was a what very defining moment where we left the orphanage. We and were... the, re the reason I'm asking, I, you know, youth ministers are going to be listening to this. We mm -hmm. all take students to the mission field, or many of us do, and, and many go out of the country. I, I'm curious to hear what it was that hooked you. There were two things. One was getting outside the walls of the orphanage, which was a pretty place. The kids were all neat and cute and had nice clothes and everything was clean. And leaving that orphanage, we went into a small town close to it where some of those kids had actually come from. Yeah. And we spent time with the church there and the community, and we did a big meal. And there were moments where I remember seeing kids, you know, stuffing 10 hot dogs in their pockets, stuffing hot dogs down their mouths, getting as much food as they can, and little children covered in dirt and filthy with flies flying all around them, mm -hmm. and parents nowhere to be found. And seeing that, that was really what stuck in my mind and showed me, wow, those kids at that orphanage all have stories and all, they haven't been at that orphanage forever. They've come from somewhere and, and that kind of just put the question in my head, like, what are these kids' stories? Yeah. I wanted to know them. I didn't just want to see a pretty cute face at an orphanage. I wanted to know what happened to them. And that's what hooked you. And that's what hooked me, yeah. And so after that first experience, I'm sure you knew you were going to go back for more short-term missions with with the PR youth group yes um, did did you dream at that point that you'd be living here someday at that point maybe it was in the back of my mind but I didn't necessarily think I was gonna make any plans or or head toward that intentionally but it was definitely something that I I entertained as an idea so, so when did you hook up with Baja Missions? You mentioned that group that comes down. You know, Baja mm -hmm. Missions is the organization that has started several churches along the Baja here. Mm -hmm. When did you start doing that? At what age? I was first 16 when I I was 16 when I first went on a Baja Missions trip. And then, 
you you and then that just got in under your skin and captured your heart and you chose a college destination based on Baja missions I did essentially I I chose a school that was in close proximity really sacrificed <laughs> to go to this school uh, tell us the name of it I went to Pepperdine <laughs> which is in Malibu but Malibu's close to it's Southern close. California where groups fly out and, and mm -hmm. you would just meet them in Mexico yeah, I mean I'm I sorry in, in San Diego drive down about two hours to San Diego and meet up with the groups and go down with them for a weekend or for a week or on holidays and that way I went several times a year all through college I went three or four times a year so what, what do you remember the first time you came to VG I do I do remember uh, were you in college at the time no that's when I was 16 okay got it mm -hmm. and and Oasis obviously wasn't here because you you started Oasis correct so what about Vicente Guerrero made you think what a cool amazing place that God could use me I think it, I first saw the potential I saw this small little church that started as a one-room little establishment and each year that I kept going back it was growing and getting bigger and getting another classroom or another bathroom and more families and and I kept seeing this progress I would go at sometimes three times a year and I would see the same kids the same families and, and they knew you they I mean, knew they, me yeah. yeah they would know me by name and there weren't a lot of people who would come back again and again and again so it just felt really special to see the same kids and keep up with them and see them pretty much grow up through the years and see how much how important that relationship was to them that they would wait months and sometimes a whole year to see me but then be so excited when they when the vans would pull up and they would see someone that they recognized and that was always very special. So mission trips continued, you know, until you graduate, you go to college at Pepperdine, you keep doing the mission trips. When did this become a possibility? I mean, I, I've sort of heard the story and it blows my mind that this could possibly have happened. What really blows my mind is that your mom and dad were cool with this. <laughs> yes. But but basically, you came on a mission trip and, and then just stayed. Didn't go home. Well, well, right. well, tell us that story. So I... I finished college and you know that last year of college everyone's asking you the, the what? question yeah what's next what are you gonna do when you graduate and I never really had an answer I just kept telling people I don't know I think something will come up because I I had the feeling something would come up I didn't apply for any jobs I didn't look for jobs my parents were on my back you know what do you you need a plan what are you, you didn't do? have a plan I didn't have a plan what was your major psychology and Spanish and I, my apartment lease was about to be up, and I had my jobs I was still working at, but they were going to end as well. And so everything kind of nicely came to an end, and that was the, the right before the summer trip I always went on. Every year I went on a trip in July, and I was planning to go on that trip, and I talked to the leaders of the trip to figure out details of when, what the dates were. And they actually asked me if I would be willing to stay for a few months after the group left with another girl and mm -hmm. it was the the other girl her name is Kristen she's a friend of mine who had for years been wanting to come and live down here it was actually her dream and her vision to come and work with the kids in this what, in this town say her name again Kristen Kristen mm -hmm. she was at this church no she's from Indiana but okay. she would come on the trips as so well this wasn't year. the Newburg church that led this trip in July that you were coming on Yes, or it, it was, was yeah. okay so you came with Newburgh and she was from a she, she was, was from Indiana from well. Indiana she knew people at Newburgh okay so both of us it was interesting both of us were the same age and had been coming on these trips for years she was always on the trip so right. we already knew each other and she wanted to stay but nobody wanted her to stay alone by herself 
So I was just graduating. I had my car out in California. I, my apartment was gone. My jobs were gone. I graduated. I was free. Mm. I had no financial obligations, debt free. And I said, I need to go. I need to go. Why, if I don't say yes now, I'm never going to. It's just going to be more difficult. There'll be more obstacles, more excuses. And, and I sold everything. I got rid of the apartment, cleared it out, packed my car, and drove down to Mexico to meet the group. And I have this car, left. this yeah. car right here. It was a different one. I've okay. switched cars since. I had to make an adjustment with my vehicle, <laughs> given yeah. the road conditions. Yeah, yeah you've got uh, some pretty big tires on that Jeep there. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow, that is amazing. So when you stayed, did y'all, did you too know what you did? Did you know Oasis was the plan? No, we, I mean you weren't going to stay for three years. We had no idea what we were going to do. We, it was a very emotional moment when the group left us and we were all bawling our eyes out and crying. And you could tell in people's eyes, they were looking at us like, are we doing the right thing? Wow. This seems a little crazy, leaving these two white girls in their 20s down in Mexico by themselves to yeah. start something. And the, the vans <laughs> rolled away and Kristen and I looked at each other and just started crying. And we didn't know what to do really we had no idea what to do but those first three months god really blessed us with the people in our lives to to show us around here to take us under their wing to share their experience with us and we met a lot of other people in ministry in this area and that's where we started with the church and meeting all the other ministries and learning from them and asking them well what's already going on here what are some things that are already happening that are good and how can we fit in and where's the need so it was a, a time of research and learning and a lot of first challenges we had to overcome and being here and figuring out how to live here. If, um, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Carly <laughs> Dallas is, you, you know, you're, you might be trying to imagine what kind of American girl would just stay in Mexico. Um, you might think that she's a bodybuilder or some <laughs> kind of, you know, professional, you know, kind of athlete trainer, just, kickboxing you know you ought to go to oasis space after space school space program on facebook oasis mm -hmm. after school program and i'm sure there are some pictures there <laughs> of this this girl that stayed in mexico just blowing my mind M my own 15 year old daughter is about your size uh, <laughs> she, she's not obviously 25 yet but it's hard for me as a father to imagine that scenario but as a youth minister, I love that. I'm so I'm so proud of you. I can't. My, you're a youth minister that you grew up uh, where you grew up. Brad Childers is a, is a good friend of mine, and so many times I've imagined how he must feel watching you, whether it's through social media or when he mm. brings groups down here. Just thinking, that's what we dream about. That's what mm. we preach to our students: is that this God gets a hold of you, and then who knows what happens. And here it is, and there's this building now, and a and hundred you know, kids from the community, mm -hmm. and a waiting list beyond that who are getting an opportunity to, to grow and learn because a couple of girls who grew up in youth groups like ours just <laughs> stayed, and I just love that. Um, I, let me back up real quick to the moment when you were in youth group and you mm -hmm. would come on these trips. I've heard you talk about the frustration you felt when you got back home. Yes. With your own life, with the culture around you, with the lives, you know, like just with how nobody seemed to be getting the real, like it's, we're not getting it. It's not, you know, talk about that frustration and how you began to sort of turn the corner to deal with it. Right. So I wrote about it once, and one of the best ways I tried to describe it to other people was 
just one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life was go on a mission trip and then try to re-enter my life as if nothing had happened. And it was just very difficult to go and see the things I saw and hear the things I heard and see these kids and hear about their lives and the way they live and how things are in different places and then go back to my life, which is a very comfortable, very happy, very affluent, very privileged life as if, you know, nothing had ever happened. And, and I felt two, two different kinds of emotions. One was a very strong motivation, a very strong motivation to do something, to improve the lives of others, to help, to serve. It was, you know, that fire you feel when you're like, let's go, let's, let's change things, let's make things better. And then I felt a huge bitterness and a huge guilt almost for why do I have so much? Why was I born in this family? Why do I have a closet full of wonderful clothes and this big house and all these cars and all this food and I've never felt hunger or lacked water or a roof over my head? So it was this, these, this big contrast of positive emotion, wanting to do something and help, but then feeling kind of trapped. And I'm, I'm in this culture where everybody has everything and nobody needs anything. And and everyone is so focused on themselves and success and climbing the ladder and and what they can gain. And so it was hard for me to be around other people who hadn't had the same experience as me and to go to high school every day as if and nothing had happened and looking around and seeing all these people who just seemed to be self-centered. And I, I started feeling like I was being too judgmental, like I was judging everyone around me. I was just a ball of negative energy. Mm. And I tried to find ways to channel that energy and to, to be more productive with it than angry. Instead of sitting around and pouting and complaining mm. about how selfish everyone is, to rather try to open their eyes and help them have experiences like I did, where they can start caring more about others around them and expand the parameters of their concern instead of just being concerned with themselves and their life try to try to look out for others around them you you started to see yourself as a kind of missionary in the states right yeah my my goal was to to help others around me just be more sensitive to other people and their needs and and find where's ways daily where they can serve and be of service and to that be their main goal in life you know to have their life be about service because really when i think about christianity and and christ that that is like the ultimate the ultimate calling is a life of service. That's great. That's great. You, you, you told your story to our youth group, uh, I guess it was two nights ago, and, and I, I just loved hearing you challenge them to, you know, not to just be cynical or not to just feel better than somebody else or to do something with the love they have, you know, or, mm-hmm. or <clears throat> with the dreams that they have and, and, and not get frustrated that the dream is out there you know because mm-hmm. every teenager every every teenager in the united states every one of our you know almost every one of the teens in our youth groups they can't make their mission trip dream to mexico come true now you know that right. they, 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 they want to change the world they want to touch the world they, they can't but you were saying you can i mean you can find a way in your school with with somebody somehow you know i just thought that was really great and i don't I, I I wish I could you know wish you could bottle that up so so we could you know distribute that all over the place and that all contributed to the path you know that led you that led here mm-hmm. and now of course you are leading trips uh, and hosting groups like ours um, my church now we have twenty five 
teenagers on this mission trip and about 12 adults, most of whom are youth group parents. It's been really neat to see them interact and to see them work with these kids and they, they're in it's love with great. them. In fact, you know, there's at least, I think, two kids that come to Oasis who are named Jesus. Yes. M- maybe more than two. And this morning, our intern did this Devo, of, you know, about about how yesterday he was he was playing Thumb Wars with this shy kid that you know just needed love, and 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 you know JP realized I'm playing I'm playing Thumb Wars with Jesus, with you Jesus. know, <laughs> and that's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. So you know you do the least for the least of these, you know, you do for me. Um, and so that's what we're experiencing. I want to hear you talk about this for a little bit. And we're going to sort of transition and let you preach to us youth ministers. Um, how is there anything that you see when we bring our groups down here that that you need that you want to tell us about that we can learn from? Something that maybe we need to change about the way we do short-term missions. Um, and and Brad, Brad and I, you know, my group is here this week. Brad and the Newburgh people who might be listening to this, they bring groups down. We've all got thick skin and we know where this is coming from. So hit, hit us with it. If, if, if there's something we need to learn about short-term missions that you've learned through your three years here. Um, a few, a few comments. Uh, some of the things I've seen, I've seen good things and bad things. There's always a good side and a bad side to everything. Um, these kids love visitors. They love having people come because it shows them that they're cared about. A lot of the kids here don't feel that anyone cares about them. Their parents don't express that they care about them. Their teachers don't. There's just a lot of negative influences around here and not a lot of positive affection going around. So to have a group come and just love on these kids for a whole week, it's very special for them. And they soak up the attention and they love it and it's really great. Um, so that's definitely a positive to have have these teens interacting with these kids. and. Some things I've seen that have been a little more negative are, you know, some some kids on the street who will walk around and see white people and just walk up to them and immediately just ask for money and say, give me a dollar, 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 and they're sticking their hands out. And a lot of the Americans, um, I've seen that they will. They will take out their wallet, they'll feel sad for the kid or feel guilty and want to help, and it's a good motivation, they want to help, so they'll give the kid a dollar. But some of these kids, just go and take that money and we'll buy glue with it or paint and sniff it and they have drug problems but you'd never think that a six or seven year old boy is using anything like that but -hmm. they are and i've seen it and so some of these kids have already some people in this town say that there is a a missionary culture that has been established where um the kids go around and they target the white people they see the white people and and they ask them for money and a lot of them give them the money and sometimes that can be more harmful than it is beneficial so there are some cultural issues with with that groups need to be aware of or sensitive toward when they go to another country because it is another culture and some things that they think might be helping could in a way cause effects that are more detrimental and effects that they not may not see or ever be aware of um, and one of those is just having the kids here seeing white people as a dollar sign. A, mm-hmm. lot, a lot of times white people are just viewed as they have so much money, they'll just hand it out freely and give it to everybody. And we don't really want the people here thinking that. We would rather help them and educate them in, in ways that are more longer lasting, that don't involve just handing out money to them or handing out things in general. So 
that's one thing that the groups have to be aware of. Am I hearing you say that that when when they see us as dollar signs, we we're losing the ability to help them see the real answer. Like they see right. us as the answer mm-hmm. and we're not. And yeah. we need to know we're not. And that's an issue that extends to lots of things. Like even house builds, some groups will come down and build houses. And one of the negative um, effects of that, that groups don't see sometimes is families get jealous of other families within the church. And the process of picking the family that gets the house becomes really really complicated because the families among the church will say, well, why does that family get a house and why don't we? And we've been here longer and we do more in the church and we don't have a house and they just got a nice one. And mm-hmm. and sometimes families will come to the church and just ask for, hey, we want to sign up to get a house. And they start coming to the church because they just want to get a house. And the whole message of God and, and Christ and, and his love and what all that means is kind of swept under the, the carpet and they're the just house, yeah. yeah and they're just focused on what are they going to get from the group and I don't want the kids here in Mexico to look at me as an American and think what can I get from her I want them to look at me and think you know what can she teach me what can she show me and she's going to be there for me and she's she's someone I can count on and respect and and to think of me more as a person you know rather than a than a resource of of material goods Good. That's great. Um, anything else as you think about groups like ours coming into a culture like this? Um, that's the major, the major point of conflict, I think. I think that's all okay. I can think of right now. <laughs> um, what about a teenager who says, I love what you're doing, you know, Carly Dallas, you know, she's... Wow, everybody's talking about Carly. She's got this great, awesome missionary life, and she's changing the world. You know, the kisses kisses from Katie deal. Right. Or, you know, kisses <laughs> with Katie. I can't remember what it's called. But the you're now a celebrity, you know, in, in the eyes of my youth group at least, because you're doing this amazing, adventurous, glamorous life that's in God's name changing the world. Mm-hmm. What's your response to that? Um, My response to that... I think mission work in the last maybe 50 years particularly has been glamorized and made to to seem kind of like a, an adventurous, fun lifestyle for the young who want to go out and explore and go to a new place and, and change the world. And it's not easy. It's not hard. It's definitely not always fun. And it's definitely also not any more special than than any other life that God calls somebody to. And one thing I remember I told your teens the other night is that the mission field shouldn't be viewed as a far-off place, and missions in general shouldn't be viewed as anything related to distance or, or location, because the mission is something that is found in your heart, and you live it daily, regardless of where you are, or what you're doing, or what your job is. It's not even necessarily a, a job to be a missionary. Because some of what I feel here is sometimes it's hard for me to call myself a missionary here because what I'm doing on a daily basis feels more like an educator or a director of a program. Mm -hmm. And and I'm a missionary in the sense that churches sponsor all the work and the money comes from churches. But a lot of these kids, they, they know who Jesus is already. They've heard about Jesus and they know that. And a lot of the support they need is emotional and psychological and they need parenting and... 
and all of that is my mission, but, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, that, that, that is really, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, if, if, if I ask you though, you know, let, let's say I'm a, I'm a stateside youth minister. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in, I, I work in middle Tennessee. So I say, I've got one, uh, I, I've got a group. We can either, we can either all raise a thousand dollars to fly out there and come on this mm-hmm. mission trip and do this, or I can collect, you know, $10,000 instead of the 30,000 we're going to spend to get there. I can try to raise, you know, let, let's just say it's $5,000. Is is the five thousand? Would would you say the five thousand would do more good, or or no no? Let, let come down here, help show the love. You know, let's 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 communicate. Let them see God in you, and perhaps even you know change the life of one of your students. I mean, what do I you say to say... that? Yeah, and I think you're I think you're a perfect person to answer that question because here you are doing mission work, but but ten years ago. You were 15 years old in a in a you know about to be a high schooler in a in a youth group like like mine you know so right. what what's the answer? I would say spend the 30 grand and have them come down here and then they'll go back and I'll be motivated to raise five thousand okay. dollars each and then they can <laughs> right. each send me five thousand dollars. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Because good, one of good. I have an example for that is one of the ways when when I went on those first mission trips and I went home I felt like I needed to do something I felt like I needed to help in some kind of way mm-hmm. with what I had available to me and I was still a, a school student you know so I had to I had to keep going to school and I was limited in ways but also I started realizing I have so many resources here yeah. that those kids in Mexico don't have I can send out letters to my whole church family I can raise money I can. I can do things here, even though I'm far away. And so I did that. I, there was a project where I realized at that orphanage they had no library or a computer center or anywhere to do their homework. There was no kind of educational room there for the kids. And so me and a, my, a few of my friends who went on that mission trip with me, we started raising money and in a few months had $10,000 and sent that to the orphanage along with 5,000 books that we bought and started a little room there that was like a computer room and, and homework center for them to do their, their homework. And th- that's a way where, you know, if I'd never gone on that trip, I would have never yeah. even cared about doing a project like that. Neither would any of my friends. And, and that's just one, one example of that inspiration that a teen might feel on that mission trip could, could really turn into something way, way bigger than anyone ever imagines. But they have to go, they have to see, they have to experience, and, and that's, that's what changes people. That's what starts that chain reaction of things that, that led me to be here right now. Yeah. So I was that teen in a youth group. Right. And if someone had told me, hey, we're raising money, you want to give a few dollars for this? I'd be like, okay, sure, but I wouldn't have felt anything right. about it. You became the person that went crazy championing that cause right. to, to do something more. Well, I love hearing that, you know, because you're here and you need funds. I mean, I've heard you say there's 20 there's 20 kids that are on the waiting list right. that would love to come into Oasis if you if you just had the money to bring more teachers on board and to have more resources, you know, or more food to feed them at lunchtime or or maybe to expand, you know, mm-hmm. the property here that you have to different classrooms or whatever. So so you do need money, but it's cool to hear you say bring you would them. you <laughs> would choose to have them all come here. 
Of course, I obviously love hearing that since I'm here yeah, and I've got him here. I hope you didn't feel any pressure to do that. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I'll hear youth ministers say, almost with this, um, when we're talking about our summer plans, you know, might say something like, well, we, we're we not going out of the country this year on a mission trip. You know, we're doing something, you know, doing a work camp at home or, mm-hmm. or we're working in our own community. Almost like in this sort of insecure tone of voice, like I... I know it would be better. It'd be better to go out of the country than to to do service here or to to do a mission trip here. That's real mission work. What's your response to that? Yeah, it's, it's their country borders are made up. They're imaginary lines that God has nothing to do with. And I think we shouldn't ever view missions as related to countries or cities or states because missions, really, as Christians, we all should be missionaries, and our mission is to spread the message and you don't need a country border to, to do that to show you where to do that it can be your front yard it could be your backyard it could be your neighborhood your school really anywhere final question for you uh, and, and you may have other things you want to talk about or say but my, my last question for you would be about Brad and about your youth minister um, and, and about your church so so this is a this is a Providence Road question mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think youth ministers listening to this will specifically love to hear, you know, hear this as it relates to Brad. What, what are some things about your church environment and maybe some, some characteristics of the man you called youth minister growing up that you admired or, or that, that challenged you or that you look back and you think, I'm so glad I had that kind of youth minister or that kind of church? Yeah, one of the things I think is most important is is I had Brad my, as my youth minister the whole time I was in the youth group, yeah. and uh, he got to know all of us very well, and uh, I had the same youth minister, Beth Moore, also, mm. was the whole time I was, now Beth Pruitt, <laughs> I was in the youth group, and uh, and that consistency is very important, and he's also very persistent, very hilarious, determined guy, and I always remember him um, constantly asking me when I was going to get baptized. When are you going to get baptized? What are you Mm -hmm. waiting for? When are you going to get baptized? And at first it was annoying to me, and then later on I was like, you know what, he's right. Like, what am I waiting for? There's not a reason to wait. And was baptized at Palmetto Bible Camp when I was 13 years old. And um the church, I think, the the activities, the the whole youth group program, it was always very fun. It was always very enjoyable. Um, I kind of lived further away from church, so it was hard for me to be a part of everything that was going on. But also, it just wasn't about doing stuff all the time. It wasn't about a schedule and events and every the summer lineup. It was sometimes like let's just all hang out and be together and know each other and. Um, I remember very vividly that honesty was very a very important thing in our youth group, and we would sit in rooms sometimes and have confession times where people mm-hmm. would just open up, and that always surprised me. I was like, I don't think I can imagine myself in any other social environment where people would open up like this and share what they're struggling with in such a raw, emotional, honest way, and that was that was one of the the best qualities of my youth group was that we could sit in a room together and share like our deepest, darkest, most embarrassing secrets with each other and then know that they will not judge us. They will be there for us. We're, you know, like we're a, we're a family. And 
that was intense at times, but it was yeah. very, very important as, as having us have a group identity and trust in our group mm-hmm. and um, just always being there for each other. How big was your youth group? It was about probably 80 to 100 okay. teens. So not, not small. Yeah. Um, that's really awesome to hear you talk about your group. And I had forgotten that you had, that, of course, Beth was there when you were coming through. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. That's amazing that. you had the same youth ministers all the way through. Mm-hmm. So, okay, do you think of yourself, do you currently, with the group that you're working with here, a little younger than youth group maybe, but do you ever think of yourself as a, as a female youth minister? I mean, not a, not a minister to females, but a, a, a youth minister who is a woman. I do feel like that sometimes, especially because we do have a lot of of teenage girls in our group. We don't have a lot of teenage boys, but we have about 13 teen girls, and we are constantly having having to have counseling moments with them and having to have serious conversations with them. Well, yesterday, yesterday you had two teen girls... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> with serious situations, it's just like youth group hit us yes. hit in the face here to yesterday. One one with a cutting situation, and and mm-hmm. another uh, didn't even realize what would happen when she started telling her story, and it all comes out emotional. Just yeah, I, I definitely feel like I'm a mom and a counselor and a social worker and a youth minister yeah. and a lot of things I didn't really anticipate when I came down here because I thought mostly I'd just be a teacher or you know, run a program and play with kids. And I never really thought that I would be this involved in their their personal lives and their stories. But really, when you're here for this long, <laughs> several years, and you have the same kids in your group, you start getting a lot closer to them. And, mm-hmm. and definitely feel like, feel like I'm something like a youth minister, too, as well. That's great. <laughs> well, anything else you want to say to us before I kick the bumper music and we, <laughs> we head to the end of this thing? I just want to thank this group for coming down. I want to thank you for bringing your group. It was the first time that they had come down here, and yeah. I hope it was a mostly positive experience it's for all of them. It's been fabulous, and it w- it's been really fun to see you draw the map of the, all the churches <laughs> in different states and the connections and the things and the people that make Oasis possible. And yesterday I walked in, and on the board there was Otter Creek. It yeah. was so fun to see our church on that board. Uh, it is a neat. You've got a beautiful ministry here. Uh, this is a beautiful building. I mean, if you could see it, it's just all around. Everything's except for the grass and the and the strawberry fields. It's just it's either brown or white or mm-hmm. some version of brown and white. And here is this building that's pink and and it's green and blue and orange and all these perfect <laughs> colors that just say you're going to experience life here mm-hmm. if you come here. And and that's what we've experienced, uh, our youth group this week. So I thank you so much. Um, we're going to wind down to the end here on our podcast. And Carly Dallas, what a blessing you have been and what a story you have. And I just thank you so much. Yes, you say you. anything to people back home? Hi, I miss all of you guys at Providence Road. I hope some of you are listening to this. <laughs> and probably they won't. I tell people, you, typically my mother listens and a few other people. Uh, Carly, we will make this available to them. Okay, okay. we love you. Uh, te amo de amor. Uh, te amo uh, con amor de Dios. Okay. Is that how you say it? See. Sí. Okay. <laughs> Give me a hug. I love you. Thank you. All right, Carly Dallas. We'll see you next time on the digital side. Of it. <laughs>